Lancaster County's oldest cold case is finally closed after nearly 47 years and a move to upgrade the power grid in Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Morning Agenda, WITF's daily news podcast, where the only agenda is you. A good morning to you, a happy Friday to you. It is October 20th, and this is being recorded at 7.06 a.m. I'm your host, Tim Lambert, as we take this daily trip around the region's top stories together. So let's get started. The federal government is dedicating billions of dollars to upgrade the country's electric grid. The money comes from the bipartisan infrastructure law, which was designed to address climate change and prepare for the transition to green energy. Sophia Schmidt from our partner WHYY in Philadelphia reports three of those projects are right here in Pennsylvania. PICO could get up to $100 million to prepare its infrastructure to withstand floods and add battery systems for backup power. PPL Electric in Eastern PA and Duquesne Light in Western PA could each get millions of dollars for upgrades to reduce outages and increase grid capacity. White House official Mitch Landrieu says much of the grid is outdated. Older equipment can overload during extreme heat and cold when power is needed most, and it's also more likely to fail when communities are washed out by historic floods. Uh, and decimated by stronger storms. Now, the Department of Energy plans to invest a total of more than $10 billion in grid upgrades nationwide. Rite Aid plans to close two mid-state stores as part of its approach to shutter about 7% of its facilities. The moves are part of the drugstore chain's effort to make its way through its Chapter 11 bankruptcy process. Rite Aid stores on Eisenhower Drive in Hanover and Wurtsville Road in Mechanicsburg are on the list of 154 submitted in a court filing. 39 of the company's 433 stores across Pennsylvania are slated for closure. The company has more than 2,200 locations in 17 states and says it also may close additional stores. Rite Aid moved its headquarters from Cumberland County to Philadelphia in 2021. Well, it seems like we've been talking about this for a long time, but Pennsylvania's 2024 primary date remains up in the air. My colleague Ben Wasserstein reports the state house is sending a bill to move the primary one week earlier back to the Senate for final approval. Lawmakers have been trying to move the primary off the Jewish holiday of Passover and earlier in the national primary season to give Pennsylvania a louder voice in the presidential race. But the House and Senate have disagreed on the details, with each chamber proposing its own bill. On Wednesday, the House sent an amended version of the Senate bill back to the Senate for final approval. It would move the primary date from April 23rd to April 16th. Democratic Representative Armin Venkat of Allegheny County criticized the new date as it falls on the start of the Hindu holiday of Ram Navani. Nevertheless, he voted yes on the bill. I do believe we need to move our primary, and it has nothing to do with religious reasons. It is because Pennsylvania deserves to play a far more relevant role in presidential primaries. Republican Senate Majority Leader Joe Pittman of Indiana County calls the amendments unacceptable to the Senate majority and criticizes House Democrats for failing to act sooner on changing the date. Now, as part of our 2020 election accountability policy, we'll note Senator Pittman was one of the signers of a January 4th letter urging Congress to delay certification of Pennsylvania's 2020 election results, despite no evidence calling those results into question. 
Well, right-wing provocateur Alex Stein is slated to perform Monday at Penn State's University Park campus. And Danahy, with our partner WPSU and State College reports, an administrator says the school is doing a bit more community engagement ahead of the appearance. Stein came to campus a year ago with the founder of the Proud Boys. That event ended up getting canceled at the last minute as confrontations broke out between Stein and protesters before the event. Provost Justin Schwartz said the university has learned from that. I think we're doing far more uh, community engagement in advance of the event. Last year's event was in the central part of campus. This year, it's scheduled for a room in the Bryce Jordan Center. Schwartz said not having the event near dorms or the student union building is a significant difference. This person has been here before, right? So we understand perhaps a little better the that you know, granted that person's playbook may be different this year than last right but we at least have a, a context of of that person's playbook last year's clashes led the university to develop a policy on visitors rights and responsibilities it took effect this month and says in part that visitors have the responsibility to refrain from behaviors that interfere with or disrupt university activities and programs Now, according to Penn State, speaker contracts include language saying speakers have to follow all relevant university policies along with the law. Temple University President Richard Englert plans to build upon the legacy left behind by Joanna Epps. Kenneth Burns is with our partner WHYY in Philadelphia, and he reports it's been a month since Epps' untimely death. Englert has been part of the Temple community for nearly five decades, serving as president previously from 2016 to 2021. He worked with Epps for many of those years. She's been well close to 40 years as uh, a great member of the Temple community, a personal friend, uh, so it's a great personal loss, but more importantly, a loss to Temple. He promises to uphold Epps's priorities as he serves as president as the search committee looks for his successor. Attracting the best students and keeping the university safe tops his priorities. Safety has two dimensions, a policing side and a holistic side. It's the holistic side that sometimes is so important because that deals with the social, economic, and environmental determinants of crime and of uh, violence. Englert says he expects a new president to be picked next year. Well, Philadelphia's hot bats went down in a wave of whiffs, overpowering at the plate in the first two games. The Phillies struck out 13 times during a 2-1 loss to Arizona. The Phils still have a two-games-to-one lead in the best-of-seven National League Championship Series. Game four is tonight in Arizona. I want to put in a plug for my colleague Scott Blanchard's weekly newsletter. It's called The Purple Buck, and it's designed to help you make sense of all the massive amounts of news we encounter and to be able to assess what is solid reporting and what isn't. Scott also pulls the curtain back a little bit on the newsroom and talks about our process in selecting stories and how we cover certain stories. If that's of interest to you, again, it's called The Purple Buck, and it's a weekly newsletter. You can subscribe to it by going to witf.org slash newsletters. Just select The Purple Buck. That's witf.org slash newsletters. 
So it is Friday. How about it? Hope you have some great plans for the weekend. Of course, Penn State, Ohio State tomorrow at noon, the big game to watch this weekend in college football. But before we get to that, we do have some things we need to finish on the morning agenda. And that includes a few stories that I came across this morning when I checked about a dozen news sites across the region. And I want to put them on your radar because they cover issues that may impact you and your community in the future. So here's what you need to know. A man charged in Lancaster County's oldest cold case is pleading guilty. Our sister newsroom, LNP Lancaster Online, reports David Vincent Sinopoli was arrested more than 46 and a half years after the murder of Linda Sue Beekler. Sinopoli was taken into custody in July of 2022, months after analysis of DNA evidence in conjunction with family trees pointed investigators to him. He's now pleaded guilty to third-degree murder. Now, you may remember Beekler's body was found on December 5th, 1975, when her aunt and uncle discovered the 19-year-old stabbed to death in her Manor Township apartment. Sinopoli also pleaded guilty to burglary and aggravated assault under the plea agreement. He was sentenced to 25 to 50 years in prison, receiving the maximum possible sentences for each separate crime as the penalties existed in 1975. And a York County-based company is selling its automotive division. The York Daily Record reports the owners, the Steward Companies, has reached a deal with Sioka dealerships for Apple Automotive. The agreement involves 42 dealerships and a dozen collision centers and is expected to be completed in February. Now, in York County, for example, Apple operates several businesses, including 10 dealerships representing 10 car companies. The Steward Companies encompasses businesses across the building products, construction, and real estate industries. We haven't done a deeper dive in a little while, so why don't we take one right now into hydrogen hubs? Pennsylvania is slated to get parts of two of the country's seven hubs. Reed Frazier with our partner, the Allegheny Front, reports the Biden administration is hoping the facilities will eventually help clean up America's carbon pollution. President Biden made the big announcement in Philadelphia. One of the cities awarded a hydrogen hub with money from the bipartisan infrastructure bill he signed in 2021. $7 billion in federal investments is going to attract $40 billion in private investment in clean hydrogen and power. The hubs are part of Biden's push to get the U.S. economy to be carbon neutral by 2050, a necessity, scientists say, to stave off cataclysmic climate change. But what is a hydrogen hub, and what does it have to do with energy? Hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe, and when it's used to create energy, either through combustion or in a fuel cell, it emits zero carbon. But isolating it takes a lot of energy. Adam Walters of Pennsylvania's Department of Community and Economic Development spoke in Washington, PA, a few days after Biden's big announcement about hydrogen's role in the D-word. Decarbonization. You can use it to decarbonize a whole range of potential industries, particularly ones that are difficult uh, to decarbonize otherwise, like cement and steel and plastics manufacturing. Right now, hydrogen that's used in oil refining and fertilizers is extracted from natural gas at high temperatures. But that process is a big climate polluter. Walter said each of the seven hubs funded by the Department of Energy would use the lower carbon processes to create and then, just as importantly, use hydrogen in industries that right now spew out lots of CO2. 
It's an ecosystem of clean hydrogen production, transportation, storage where needed, and ultimately delivery mechanisms to a variety of different end users in various different parts of the economy. Hubs were also awarded for the West Coast, the Gulf Coast, and the Midwest. The Philadelphia-based Mid-Atlantic Clean Energy Hub, or Mach 2, will use nuclear, solar, and offshore wind energy to create hydrogen, said Rich Negrin. He's secretary of the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection and the former city manager of Philadelphia. He was part of the team that presented Philly's Mach 2 proposal at the White House. I, I, I'm not kidding. I don't want to put too fine a point on it. I think it's, I think it's the dawn of a, of a clean energy economy that we've been talking about for years. Another hub in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Kentucky would create hydrogen from natural gas, then bury the carbon created during this process underground. This is so-called blue hydrogen. In a video posted just after Biden's announcement, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia painted the creation of the hub as a new type of industrial revolution for his state. America is finally recognizing West Virginia's strength as America's energy powerhouse. Now as our nation strives for energy security, West Virginia will once again answer the call. Environmental groups say blue hydrogen will create more demand for fracking, which carries its own environmental and public health risks. They're also skeptical how climate-friendly it'll actually be if greenhouse gases from fracking and the hydrogen process leak out during production. Jim Coatson is chair of the West Virginia chapter of the Sierra Club. It would perpetuate the fossil fuel industry rather than help us... uh you know, wean from fossil fuels. So we have real concerns about this proposal. Kosin also said there's been little information shared with the public about what these projects would entail. Bridget Van Dorsten, an analyst at the consulting firm Wood McKenzie, said the hubs would take over a decade to develop. They'll be paired with an estimated $100 billion in clean hydrogen tax credits from President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. It wouldn't really be possible to have any of this hydrogen infrastructure be built out on the time scale that we need without these kind of incentives. The Department of Treasury is currently writing rules over just how clean these projects need to be to qualify for the tax credits. If they're not strict enough, many worry all this money will go to projects that don't lower our greenhouse gas footprint. Those rules are expected to be completed by the end of the year. For the Allegheny Front, I'm Reed Frazier. Here's a reminder that The Morning Agenda is available anywhere you find your favorite podcast and on WITF's YouTube channel. And if you like what you hear, please share it with your friends and on your social media channels because you can help play a big part in spreading the word about us. We had a News and Brews event in Lidditz, Lancaster County last night. It was so great to meet so many of you who were on hand. It was also nice to talk about The Morning Agenda because... A lot of people, believe it or not, did not know of this podcast existed. So hopefully we will gain a few more followers and listeners as well. So remember, you can play a big role in spreading the word about the work we do here each and every day. And I also want you to spread the word about the one song that is in your head today as you head into this Friday. Reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at TLambert895. You know what? You can also email me because some of you may not be on Twitter or, as it's known now, X. So you can email me, Tim underscore Lambert, L-A-M-B-E-R-T, at W-I-T-F dot org. That's Tim underscore Lambert at W-I-T-F dot org. My song of the day is Thin Lizzy's Jailbreak. 
kind of perfect for a Friday. And you can check out all my songs of the day for the month of October on our Spotify playlist. It's called the Morning Agenda Song of the Day, October 2023. So creative, so creative in picking that name. And that is going to do it for the Morning Agenda. It's a daily news podcast from WITF where the only agenda is you. I'm your host, Tim Lambert. Thank you so much for listening today. Your company is always appreciated. So be well, enjoy your weekend, and we will talk again on Monday.